Nehemiah chapter nine, we're going to, or chapter 10. We're going to be in chapter 10 and all of 11 tonight. And the title of this message is Committed to Be Different. Just to give you a recap and a reminder, chapters one through six were all about the rebuilding of the wall. You were not a nation back then if you didn't have any walls protecting you. And so there was no walls protecting the people, and Nehemiah was burdened with this heart and desire to help. God sends him, and in 52 days, they completely rebuild a two-mile-length wall. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 7 through 13, we see revival takes place. And revival is something that takes place among God's people, where they are awakened out of this spiritual sleep. They're, inv- they're invigorated. There's, they're made alive by the Spirit of God. And we saw that on the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, on the first day of the month, they had this desire. They came to Ezra and says, hey, we want to have a Bible study. We want to hear your, God's word. And the desire to hear God's word doesn't come from us. It has to come from God. He placed it within his people, but the people's responsibility was to feed that desire. And they fed that desire. They had a six-hour Bible study. And they came back the second day and got into God's word again. And they realized that they haven't been practicing the Feast of Tabernacles. So they get prepared and ready and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And all seven days of this feast, they were in God's word over and over and over and over, reading it, studying it, listening to it. And they kept feeding on that desire. Then the 24th of the seventh month comes around and they gathered together again, but they gathered together to mourn and to weep over their sin. And they had this genuine brokenness where they saw their sin in light of God's word and what really is true. And they were broken over that and they confessed their sins. And The rest of chapter 9 from 5 till the end is one massive long prayer. And it kind of recaps Israel's history of what God has done in the past and how the children of Israel responded and were rebellious. They were stubborn. They were disobedient. They stiffened their necks. But yet God in his goodness and his grace continued to deliver them when they called out. And so it continues. We're still on the 24th of this month. And let's pick up at verse 38 of chapter 9. It says, And because of all this, we made a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. In verses 1 through 27, I'm not going to read it to you because it's just a list of names, but there is a public commitment to God's word. And these are the people that signed this documents. They sealed and they signed it. 84 men all together put their stamp and their signature to this document. And they said, we're making a public commitment to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And even though there's only 84 names, this does not mean that the rest of the people didn't follow. The rest of the people did because all these names actually represent the entire community, the Levites, the priests, and the leaders. They all wholeheartedly got behind this commitment. All of Israel was committed to obeying the will of God. 
Are we wholehearted in our commitment to obeying God? Recently, I've had two friends kind of, um, I just talked to them. I actually had breakfast with one, Alex uh, Gutierrez from Moreno Valley. And he said something that kind of stood out to me. He goes, he was either praying for me or something like that. And he says, Josh, you are quick to obey. And I thought to myself, I was like, I'm not quick to obey. I don't feel like I'm quick. And then another guy has mentioned that to me. And it really caught me off guard. I'm like, Lord, am I really that quick as people perceive me? When you tell me to do something, am I obedient? Am I committed to your will? And I don't think I'm as committed as maybe people see me. But the Lord knows my heart. And so these men and all of Israel got together and they said, we are going to follow God's will and his word. So there was a public commitment, but now there was this specific commitment. In verse 28 through 39, we see the people specifically commit to following the Lord's in areas that they neglected in their lives. And I think there's areas in all of our lives that we have neglected. If I were to ask you, like, how's your prayer life? How often do you pray? Do you only pray for meals? Do you only pray if you need things from God? Is God like a genie to you? Or are you constantly communicating to the Lord? If I were to ask you, how's your devotional life? Are you getting into God's word? Is that an area of being neglected? Israel actually neglected a lot of areas in their life. And now they're committing specifically to follow the Lord in these areas, to carefully observe and be obedient because in the past they were careless and they weren't obedient look at verse 28 with me now the rest of the people the priests the levites the gatekeepers the singers the nephilim and all those who had separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of god their wives their sons their daughters everyone who had knowledge and understanding. Verse 29 as well. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. I want to focus and camp out on verse 28 for a little while. Look at what it says. They separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God. If you have your own Bible, I would underline the word separation and then circle the word from. They separated themselves from the people of the land. This actually goes along with Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 2 where it says, then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. So this idea of separation is continuing. But I want your guys' thoughts. What are some reasons God wanted his people to be separated from the people of the land? Why do you think God wanted his people to separate themselves from everybody else? Uh, because they're his people. Because they're his people? All right, so maybe they're, they're supposed to be unique. Okay. What are some other reasons? 
that God says, I don't want you associating with them. I don't want you hanging around them. Because like they're quick to follow others and those people are very bad. They're bad influence. I would agree with that. Wouldn't you guys agree? We as people, the one thing that influences us the most is other people. Our friends, our family influence us the most. And whoever we hang around with, that's who we're going to be like. Someone said, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. If we are around those types of people, they're going to rub off on us. And you might think, oh, no, they're not going to rub off on me. Listen, I use this as an illustration. I'm dyslexic. My dyslexicness, or however you say that, actually rubs off on other people. If you hang around me enough, you will actually start switching words around. And that's something simple. Is there any other reasons that God wanted them to be separated from the people? I think there was like a lot of idol worship around that time. So he didn't want them to fall again, like Israel did many times before that. No, and that's actually what God actually mapped out from the beginning. When before they even got into the promised land, before they became a nation, he wrote the law. And in the law, he says, do not marry in with them because they will lead you astray and they, then you will worship false idols and you will start worshiping different gods. Like there was this one called the God of Molech. Have you guys ever heard of God, the God of Molech? The God of Molech was this terrible God because there was this brass image with his hands out in front of him like this, and he was hollow in the back. They would actually heat up the image, throwing fire into the back, so the hands would become red hot. And then they would take their infants, their sons and daughters, and place them on these hands. And to drown out the crying and the screams of the child, they would have drums along the side. It's so funny because we, we think better of other people than we truly need to. What I'm saying is, God told the people from the very beginning, don't follow them. Yet we question God, why not God? Don't you think God who sees all things, knows all things, shouldn't we trust him? If you actually look in history books on what the Canaanites did, they were evil and messed up people. And some people are like, how can a loving God destroy men and women and children in the land of Canaan? If you actually read the horrific things they practice, you would say, no, they deserved it. And God was patient for years and years and years. Yes, that is one of the other reasons. He didn't want them to be led astray and started worshiping idols. God wanted his people not to be influenced by those around them. But they didn't listen. They didn't separate themselves. And they later on in their history left God and started worshiping these abominations. And because of these sinful actions that they practice, God over and over sent prophets to plead with them. Say, hey, come back, repent, return. I actually just learned that the word return is mentioned more in the Bible than a bunch of other words sometimes. It's like the idea of like people leaving God and he's like, come back because he knows that we're going to leave. 
We're prone to leave the God we love. He says, return, repent from your sins. And these people, the Jewish people, did not separate themselves. And God punished them, having an evil nation conquer them, and they were taken to Babylon. And now we have this remnant coming back to Jerusalem that we see in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. And it's interesting because if you actually turn over to the book of Ezra, chapter 9, verse 1, they have the same issue. They didn't separate themselves. It says, when these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. And you know what happened? You know how Ezra responded when he heard this? He tore his clothes. It says he pulled out his hair and he ripped out his beard. Has anybody pulled out your hair before? That's not fun, right? I had my little cousin grab my beard at once and like yank on it. I was like, oh, like that, that hurt. Like that's tender your face. He ripped out his beard and he pulled out his hair because of the response of the people. Because they didn't separate themselves. See, God wants his people to be different, separated from everyone else. But Israel, Israel wanted to be like everyone else. And I think that's a temptation all of us struggle with. Not only junior high, not only high school. Adults struggle with that. We want to be like everybody else. Sometimes we don't want to stand out. We want to fit in. We want people to like us. I get that. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, the people came to Samuel when he was older in age, and they said, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. In other words, we want to be like everyone else. Can you give us a king? God's, did you know what God's heart was? He wanted them to be different from all the other nations. All the other nations have kings and queens. He says, I want you to be a theocracy. Do you know what a theocracy is? Yes. It's where God rules and reigns the people. He wanted to be their king. And when they said, we want to have our own king, in reality, they are rejecting God. And it says in verse 6 and 7, this thing displeased Samuel, so he prayed. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. You and I get to choose who reigns over us. Whether we are in control of our lives or whether God's going to be in control of our lives. Whether we're going to be a slave to sin or a slave to God. And in verse 19 through 20, it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but we will have a king over us that we may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us, go before us and fight our battles. That is so sad. I think this statement is so sad. You know why? Because God says, I'm going to go before you. There's no one else that can go before us like God can. He goes into the future and prepares the way. Moving kings in people's hearts and authority. He says, no, we don't want you to judge us. We want a separate 
person. We want someone whose heart is equal and not completely pure. I mean, we, we want a king to fight our battles. They said, God, we don't want you to fight our battles. If we want to be like the other nations, to be like everyone else around us, I guess you can say, then we're giving up the most special relationship in all the universe. When we have that temptation to fit in at school, to want to laugh at the jokes that everyone else is laughing at. Trust me, I get those temptations. I could want to fit in on staff here. I can fit in wherever I want, maybe with my family. It takes boldness to be different, to be separate, to stand out. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For as the scriptures said, you must be holy for I am holy. The word holy means separate, special, set apart. God says, I'm holy and I want you as my children to be like me. Now, I'm going to say this and I think I'm going to offend some of you because you don't want to hear this. And as a junior higher, I hated this. But some of us don't want to be like our parents. Would you guys agree with that? We want to be anything but like our parents. We want to have our own identity, our own likes, our own story. We don't want to be compared to anybody else. But I actually can tell a lot about your parents by you. It's funny because when junior hires come and try to talk to me about politics and presidents and all this other stuff, I was like, listen, I know for sure you're hearing that from your parents and that's not your own opinion. <laughs> You and I reflect our parents more than we realize. And it took me a while to appreciate that. I am the man I am today because of my mom and dad. They are the biggest influence in my life, and I thank God for them today. I couldn't say that when I was where you were. It took a long time for the Lord to help build that appreciation for my parents from taking me to Bible college, being removed from my parents. And then once you're like removed, then you start to appreciate something even more. But if we are God's children, we are called to be like God. And God says, I'm holy and I want you to be holy. I want you to stand out. I want you to be different. See, there's a story, I'll never forget it. There was a high school winter camp, probably a couple years ago. And this guy, Larry Powers, shared a powerful story. And it was something like this. There was this farmer who had a bunch of chickens. And all of a sudden, as he was taking care of his chickens, feeding them, he was walking around his property. And then all of a sudden on the road, he sees a baby bald eagle. Can you imagine if you found a baby bald eagle? I'd be like, dude, that would be the coolest pet ever. He takes the baby bald eagle and starts raising it as his own. And he puts the baby bald eagle within, with the chickens and feeds it, takes care of it. And then all of a sudden, this one stranger comes by. He's walking by this farmer's property, seeing all the chickens eating. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all these chickens, he sees this bald eagle who's gr kind of growing up now 
and this bald eagle's acting like the chickens, like moving its head back and forth, going fuck, like making the same chicken noises and eating the food off the ground like a chicken. And he's just like baffled. He's like, what the heck? He's like, why is this beautiful, amazing, majestic animal behaving like all these chickens? And he's like, no, I got to do something about this. And he goes and he knocks on the farmer's door. And he goes, excuse me, you, you know how you have a bald eagle? He goes, yeah. He goes, I want to buy it off of you. He's like, what? He's like, yes, I want to buy this bald eagle off of you. And he buys the bald eagle off of this farmer and takes the bald eagle and grooms him and shows him what his true potential and nature is. He's like, you're not supposed to stay on the ground like all the other birds, like all the other chickens. A bald eagle is to soar high above all the other birds. The amount of things that a bald eagle can do, their vision, they can read a newspaper, I want to say like nine miles away, or something crazy like that. Their eyesight is impeccable, and they can just die and go Whoosh. But this eagle, because of who it was surrounding himself, behaved and acted like the chickens. And this other guy took this eagle and showed him that he could fly. And then he was able to fly. See, this story, I think, represents a lot of Christians. Is we are like the bald eagle, but we're behaving like all the chickens around us, the rest of the world. We're acting like them. We're doing the same things they are doing. And when in reality, God has made you special. He has made you holy. You are his child. These are things that are true about you. And yet we don't live on the level that God wants us to live at. And he's enabled us to live at that level. Are we being like that bald eagle, living amongst the rest of the chickens and acting like them? Or are we actually being who God called us to be? See, there needs to be a distinction between God's people and everyone else. If there is no distinction, if there is no line, if there's no difference, then why would anybody want to be a Christian? If we acted like everybody else, if we had everyone else's joy and happiness, why would you want to be a Christian? Christians are called to be different. And there are only two sides, God's side or the enemy's. There's a powerful verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you guys are not taking notes, I would write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Paul says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? It goes on to say, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Do not touch their filthy things. I will welcome you. I will be a father. I will be your father. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That is a message for us to come out. Who do we need to separate ourselves from? I want you to think about that. Is there anybody that you need to separate yourself from? Maybe at school? Maybe you're thinking, like, I want to separate myself from my family. Maybe there are possibly cousins that you hang out with that you might need to distance yourself from. Maybe there's people in this church that are influencing you wrongly that you need to separate yourself from. And you might be thinking, like, Does that, can, that, can that really happen? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe there's a lot of people in this room that aren't saved. Who do you need to separate yourself from? Jesus told his disciples that they should be in the world and not of the world in John 17, 16. To be in the world and not of the world. What does that look like? I think that looks like a boat being in water, but the water is not in the boat. If the water is in the boat, you got a problem, correct, right? If all of a sudden your boat starts to sink and become one with the ocean, that is not okay. To be in the world, but not of the world. Now, what does this practically look like? How are we to be in the world, but not of the world? What do you think this looks like for us as believers? I want your guys' thoughts. How does this practically look like and play out in our lives? Because I don't think that there are certain Christians who will completely separate from non-believers and they only have Christian friends. So they live in this Christian bubble. And I think that is the most dangerous thing you and I could ever do. I think we need to have godly friends and I think we also need to have ungodly friends because that way we can be a witness. We aren't a light if we're actually living amongst the light. We're only a light if we're entering into the darkness and having an effect on that darkness. So what does it look like, practically speaking, to be in the world but not of the world? I think it looks like several things. One, our speech is different. Our speech should be different from everybody else's. We shouldn't be laughing at everyone else's dirty jokes. And there are a lot of perverted jokes out there. And I'll be uh, the first one to it. I've, I've laughed at some of them. I think we all have. But maybe the Lord's saying, hey, stop that. He says, no coarse jesting. Maybe it's cussing. We shouldn't be people who cuss. It actually really bothers me when Christians cuss. I'm like, really? You need to say that word? Why do you need to say that word? The Bible says, don't let any corrupt thing come out of your mouth. Only what is good for necessary edification. 
I think also our eyes, the way we look at things should be different. I think you and I should observe creation with awe and wonder because we have more to be grateful for. When we look at a sunset, when we stand out in the rain, and I love standing out in the rain, and I, I'm not sure if I've shared with this with you in the recent uh, past, but there was one time um, I was standing out in the rain and I was listening to worship music and I was like drinking coffee and I was just letting all the raindrops hit me. I love that feeling where all the raindrops are hitting you. And I just feel like so alive in that moment. And as all those raindrops were hitting me, it kind of dawned on me and the Lord kind of gave me this thought. The Lord knows every single raindrop that has ever landed on me. He knows the exact number. And all of a sudden, I kind of started stretching it further. I was like, Lord, you know where the first raindrop landed during the flood? Lord, you will know where the last raindrop lands. You can get to heaven and be like, all right, Jesus, where did the 10th millionth raindrop land? He goes, oh, that's easy, over the Sea of China. <laughs> he knows to an exact where every single raindrop has landed. That's his knowledge. We should look at creation differently. We should look at people differently. I had a coworker when I used to work at JCPenney's, and he drove me nuts. His name was Josh. Um, uh, he uh, dropped out of high school, had a baby mama already, and um, me and him worked in package pickup together, and we would go on cart runs. And so we would have to go around Ontario Mills and gather carts and bring them back to the store. But he would look up and down at every girl he saw. It was disgusting. And he would be like, dude, did you see that? And I was like, no, I did not. And he's like, what, are you gay? And I was like, no, I'm not. And some people will accuse you of doing that because you don't behave like the rest of the world. And it was interesting because to him, I was different. He's like, who are you? What, why are you doing all this stuff? But he would lust after every girl he saw. And he would whistle at some of them. And I was like, dude, you're a pervert. Like, knock it off. Treat women with respect. The way we look at things should be different. The way we see things, the way we hear things, the way we talk should be different. Now, what are some reasons people don't want to separate themselves? Why do people not want to be obedient to God's word and kind of distance themselves? Absolutely. They are, we are so concerned, and I will say we, about what other people are going to think about us when we say, I got to stop hanging around with you, or we start kind of just distancing ourselves and we don't even hang around with them. We kind of ghost them completely. And they're like, dude, what's up? Do you hate me or something? And we just don't know maybe how to respond. We are not, we're kind of concerned on how people might see us. They could be too comfortable in their life. Too comfortable. I think that is true. Some people are too comfortable in their lifestyle where they don't want to be separated. They, they're scared of what they're going to lose. I enjoy this. I enjoy this person. I enjoy this thing. I don't want to lose that. But they, real, they don't realize what they're going to gain. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. 
and we are holding on to things of this world with like a white knuckle grip and we are not willing to give it up for things that are eternal that will last beyond this life. What? They don't want to be alone, right? I, I, that, I think that's huge. Nobody wants to be alone. And sometimes we might feel isolated when we start to separate ourselves from other people. And that could be a very lonely spot. I was talking to a young man who, this young man was seeking the Lord, but everybody else in his family wasn't. And he said, it's hard. One of his own siblings accused him of trying to be a priest and made fun of him. And I was like, man, I, I, I'm so sorry. I don't know what that feels like. The majority of my family are Christians. But I'm here with you, man. I'm, if you need anything, let me know. And that's why we need to rely on one another. I think it's also because we don't truly love God at times. We don't have that faith and that hope and confident expectation that He is going to do something with this. And just because we're separated from something doesn't mean we're separated to something. We can distance ourselves from those evil things or evil people. But if we're not separated to the Lord, there's something wrong. And that goes to the next thing. They were separated to the law of God. They said, we are going to separate ourselves from the world, but we are going to separate ourselves unto God's word and be obedient to this. This is our commitment to be different. Joe Foch, she said, the secret of separation is loving God with all of your hearts. If we have a hard time separating ourselves from other people, my question is, where is your love for the Lord? Are you loving Him with every ounce of your being, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind? If we have a divided heart, then that's why we have a hard time separating ourselves and distancing ourselves. When we love God with all of our heart, there is no room for the love of other things. D.L. Moody said, faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. And if we love the Lord, it'll be easy to separate from other people. And verses 30 through 31, follow along with me. It says, we will not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the people of the land brought wages uh, or any grain to sell on the Sabbath, we would not buy it for them on the Sabbath, nor on a holy day. We would forego the seventh year's produce and exacting of, the, every, or of every debt. So basically here, we see more specific things they commit themselves to. And the first thing we see here is they're not going to intermarry with the people of the land. They said, we're going to keep ourselves distant from them. We're not going to give our daughters to their sons, and we're not going to take their daughters for our sons. Now, back in that day, there was arranged marriages. Aren't you guys thankful there's not arranged marriages now? Amen. <laughs> Partly. <laughs> I did not want that. And these people here would take from the land and allow, if they intermarried, it would cause them to lead the rest of their family away. See, marriage was important to the Lord. He says, I don't want you mixing with them. 
can I encourage you? I've seen too many Christians do this. People that I care about. Make a commitment today to only marry a Christian. Sometimes there is a temptation for us to go after forbidden things. Make that commitment and say, listen, I am not going to marry a non-believer. I'm not going to be attracted to a non-believer because my values don't line up with their values. And then they say they will keep the Sabbath. In other words, they weren't keeping the Sabbath back then and they're going to hold to it. And then every seven years, they would let the land rest and there would be this year of release for the Jewish brethren that they wouldn't, they would cancel all their debts. And they were so serious about this. I kind of missed this in verse 29. They entered into a curse and an oath. They said, we are committed and we're serious about being different, serious about being set apart. That they said, all the curses in God's law, in Deuteronomy 28, you can read them for yourself. There's verse 16 through 68. All those curses, they said, it would be on us. They said, we're serious about this. And then in verses 32 through 39, the word house of our God is mentioned nine times in these eight verses, which refers to the temple. And that's kind of a picture of what the temple looked like during Ezra and Nehemiah's time. It wasn't glorious. It was very simple and basic. But they were going to be committed to taking care of God's house. And taking care of God's house was no small task. There was a lot to go into it financially. They needed wood. They needed oil, animals, crops. They, the people needed to provide for the Levites and the priests. Taking God, care of God's house was no small undertaking. And something I want to point out is taking care of God's house wasn't just the priests and the Levites' responsibilities. It was everybody. All of Israel was responsible for maintaining the worship in Israel and taking care of the priests and the Levites and the sacrifices. The same thing is true for today. It's not Pastor David's job to take care of this church. It is not my job only to take care of this church or the people on the staff. Did you know it's your responsibility to take care of this church? It is all of our responsibility. Taking care of it, the building physically. If you see trash on the floor, you have a responsibility to pick it up. I've actually seen trash, and then I walked by it and kind of get convicted, and I turn around, and then I go pick it back up. If you see trash, pick it up. If it's like nasty, I've been actually in a parking lot and there was something like gross on the ground. I was like, I do not want to touch that with my hands. I grabbed a napkin from my car and picked it up. This place is your home as well. We're all responsible for the grounds, the electricity, the cleaning, but we're in charge of taking care of the spiritual body as well, which is made up of us as believers. See, if you were to take away the church, if the church caught on fire and the church building wasn't here, you would still have the body of Christ. The, our church building was destroyed, but Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley wouldn't be destroyed because what's more important than the buildings is the people because people are what lasts for all of eternity. 
So are we taking care of one another? Are we looking out for one another? Are we helping one another? If we see someone discouraged, are we praying for them? Maybe you're scared to kind of tell them like, hey, what's going on? Pray for them in your heart then. Are we supporting one another at, with food at times and assisting one another? It was interesting. A couple months back, um, someone's water heater broke at their house. And so my dad went over to their house to go help them repair the water heater and was there for several hours. And then they realized that there was another issue involved. And sometimes that's what we do. We go out of the way to help one another because we are one body. And when one part of the body is hurting, the other part of the body goes to assist it and help with it. And so we see in these verses that they help and support the temple financially in verses 20, 32 through 33. They accepted the responsibilities of uh, raising funds and giving because nothing costs, is, nothing's free. Everything costs. They donated wood for the burnt offerings. And I like that. So if you're not able to donate financially, because most of you probably don't have jobs, if you actually get an allowance, I would encourage you about praying about tithing or giving some of that money to the Lord as the Lord puts it upon your hearts. But if you don't have um, an allowance or a job, you can give other ways with your time, with your energy. Each one of you guys have gifts and ability, and I've seen it. Some of you guys are creative. Some of you are tech savvy. Some of you are good in worship. They took what they had and they gave it. They gave it the first fruits of the crops, the firstborn sons and the animals, and the tithe. The tithe is about 10% of their income. But look at verse 39 with me. At the very end it says, and we will not neglect the house of our God. They committed and they said, we will not neglect this. Because they actually, several years before this, they neglected it. And Haggai and Zechariah, these prophets came on the scene. And he goes, dude, you guys are rebuilding your houses? And yet God's house sits here in shambles? The only thing that was laid was the foundation? He said, come on, consider your ways. They said, we're not going to allow that to happen again. They were committed in taking care of God's house because God's house was actually more important than the walls, spiritually speaking. They were putting the spiritual things higher in priority than the physical things now. Now, we don't have a temple to take care of here. But can we say this about our church? We will not neglect Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. We will not neglect the junior high ministry. We will not neglect here our fellowship. Is that something you are committed to? If not, I would challenge you to pray about that. We need each other. Not to neglect the buildings, but more importantly, the spiritual body, which is one another. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of the brethren, as in uh, manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much more as you see the day approaching. He says, don't forsake this here. This here is something special. When we gather together as believers to worship, and I think many of you kind of experienced that during COVID. 
we realize how important it is to gather together. And then chapter 11, I'm just going to kind of summarize it, is closely connected with chapter 7. It deals with repopulating the city. And in verses 1 through 24, we see those people that get to dwell inside the city walls. And then the rest of the chapter, 25 through 36, those who dwell outside of the walls. And the way they determine this was kind of like uh, they cast lots, which is kind of similar to dice, but different. And they took one out of 10 families and says, all right, this family is going to be transplanted into Jerusalem, and they get to dwell inside the walls. And then other men and families, they willingly offered themselves. And they said, hey, we'll, we'll stay in there. And now the city is being repopulated. It's starting to grow. They're attending to the worship services. But this was all because they were committed. How committed are you to what the Lord wants you to do in your life? D.L. Moody said, consecrate, then concentrate. Now, some of you are like, what does that word consecrate mean? <laughs> it's like, like consecrate. Uh, consecrate means to dedicate, to set aside, to separate. He says, separate yourself unto the Lord from things. And then concentrate on what the Lord wants you to do. If the Lord's putting something on your heart, be obedient to that. And follow through with that. Separate yourself from those things that are pulling you down and pulling you away. And separate yourself to God. When we separate ourselves to God, that's when the Lord will start to begin to transform us and change us from the inside out. See, the people were getting into the Word of God and they were feeding that desire. But now their behavior, their outlook, and their perspective was starting to change. I would encourage you guys, read chapter 12. We're going to be in that next week where they actually dedicate the walls <clears throat> of Jerusalem. And we'll only be in Nehemiah for a couple more weeks.